Father, we don't just take this time for granted. We ask you to do what only you can do by the power of your spirit. Cause your word to plant in our lives and change us today. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive. Anoint me to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was this gal. She had a parakeet. His name was Chippy. Chippy loved to sing beautiful parakeet kind of songs. And, but the cage was getting kind of dirty, so she thought she would clean it and she would use the vacuum cleaner. But she was going to be very careful. She took off the attachment and she stuck the vacuum cleaner in there and was being very careful with the vacuum cleaner when the phone rang. So when the phone rang, she turned to get it and there went Chippy into the vacuum cleaner. So she went, oh no. So she quickly unzips the bag and she gets Chippy out and he's still alive. He's just covered with dust. So she runs to the faucet and she pours water on him out of the faucet Gritches all the dust off of him, but now he's cold and shivering, so she runs and gets a hairdryer and blows hot air on him. And so this story was covered by a reporter, and he called a little later and says, well, how's, how's Chippy doing since all that? She said, well, Chippy doesn't sing anymore. He just sits there and stares. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you've been through it? And you just kind of lost your song. And you just want to sit and stare at the wall. You ever been through such a trial that just kind of took all the wind out of you? Knocked you sideways. And you just have never been quite the same. Well, today I want to really exhort you to not trip over what is behind you. So many people go through a trial or some difficulty, and they get stuck there. They continue to trip over it, and they don't move forward. So we're going to uh, talk a little bit about how, whether you're coming out of the discipline of the Lord, you've repented and you've come out of the discipline of the Lord, and now it's time to move forward, or you're going through a trial. Maybe the trial is even of your own making or not. We're going to talk about how do you move forward after a time like that? How do you not get stuck in that place? Now, the scriptures give us a powerful, powerful example of God's people actually coming back from the brink of destruction, even when their desperate circumstances were the results of their own mistakes. We've been talking about the fact in history when Judah was taken captivity into Babylon. And so I want you guys to be thinking a little bit about this period of time. It was 70 years that they were uh, in captivity in ba Babylon. And God had put them under discipline to actually enable them to be changed by this discipline, come out the other end in a better uh, condition than they went into. Now, the Babylonian empire during this 70-year captivity was actually overtaken by the Persian empire. And Cyrus, the king of the Persian empire, he issues an edict in 539 BC that the Jewish exiles could return to their homeland, the homeland, and they could rebuild in Israel. 
Now, they will still be governed by the Persian Empire. They will not be allowed to establish their own country, but at least they can begin to recreate a society and a culture and a religion that is distinctive to them as a people. Now, the younger ones will have to relearn the language and the worship and the sacrificial system, since it's all based in Jerusalem, will all have to re be restarted from scratch. But slowly, the people have been allowed to return to the land. The time of discipline is over. It's time to move forward. It's time to rebuild. But how do you move forward after you've been through such a difficult trial? Again, I want you guys to remind you, we're doing this series called God's Grand Story. It's the story of the whole Bible. Because I want us to see how, see the big picture so we can see how the individual parts fit and how our lives fit into God's grand story. And what we've done is we divided the Old Testament into six parts. The six parts are beginnings, then wilderness wanderings, then promised land, and part four is a united kingdom under one king. And then part five is a divided kingdom. There is a split. And part six is captivity, the discipline of the Lord. Captivity in Babylon. And then much prophecy about restoration and the coming kingdom. And we're in the sixth part now. And uh, they are, God has now enabled his people to be released from captivity and to return to the land of Israel. Now, a big part of your Bible speaks about this time in history. So you wonder why I'm kind of camped down here a little bit in this part of history. Because a lot of your Bible talks about this. And you need to understand uh, the parts of your Bible that speak about this. A lot of the Bible speaks about that time when there was a divided kingdom. And they both went after idolatry. So God had to bring discipline, the Assyrians to the northern kingdom, the Babylonians to the southern kingdom of Judah, to bring them back to himself. That was the goal. So they are in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, and then the time is over because the Persians overtook the Babylonians. So they had a different way of doing things. Cyrus sends them back to the land. Now, a lot of your Bible speaks about this time period. Let me give you some examples. It was during the captivity, when they were 70 years captive in Babylon, that Ezekiel prophesies to the early exiles there in Babylon. Now, in your Bible, you have the book of Ezekiel. It's a pretty large book. But you need to understand that Ezekiel was a prophet during that time period, prophesying to those who were taken into captivity in Babylon. He was prophesying to them. Another book in your Bible is the book of Daniel. Daniel's another prophet. Daniel, if you remember, was as a young man, he was taken captive to Babylon. And he served because of his wisdom, because of his gift from God to interpret dreams and visions. He becomes the head of the Magi in Babylon. All right, so he's a prophet, and you have the book of Daniel in your Bible. And again, he's prophesying, both he and Ezekiel are prophesying about what God is doing at that time in history. They're also prophesying what God is going to do in the near future. But they also, both of them, see down through the corridors of history and prophesy about what God's going to do in the last days. By the way, it's important that we understand how a prophet saw a vision or a dream. 
Oftentimes, a prophet will be writing and prophesying, and he'll be talking about the situation that was going on at that time in history. And then he'll start to talk about what is going to happen in the near future, what's going to happen soon. And then the prophet would see past all that, and he would start talking about what is going to happen in the latter years and, quote-unquote, the last days. And many of the things that Daniel and Ezekiel prophesied about are on the verge of being fulfilled in our lifetime. Now, there's another prophet. You have in the Old Testament the prophet of Jeremiah. There's another long, long book. Jeremiah is one of the things that he prophesied during that time period was that their captivity would be 70 years in Babylon. They prophesied many more things, obviously. Now, they're actually now permitted to, Judah's permitted to return home to the, their, their homeland, Judah's to the homeland of, of Israel. What's so interesting is even though after the Persian Empire conquers the Babylonians and Cyrus allows them to return, a lot of them chose not to return. A lot of them chose to stay where they were. They had already made, you know, the change and understanding the culture, the language. They lived there. They worked there. A lot of them did not go back to their homeland. And by the way, I was thinking about that as I was studying this, that a lot of people, when they're going through discipline of the Lord, which was happening in Babylon, when you're going through the discipline of the Lord, a lot of people can get stuck there even after you've repented from what you did or you're going through a trial and the trial's over. Instead of moving forward and moving on, so many get stuck. They begin to identify themselves by their trial. They get stuck. They get stuck in bitterness and resentment and anger. God, they get stuck in fear about moving forward. They get stuck and shame, and guilt. There's all kinds of ways that people, even after the trial is over, they're stuck and unable to move forward. Now, also at this time, at the prophesied time, the first wave of exiles that return to the homeland are led by a couple of leaders. One is Zerubbabel, descendant of a former king of Judah, and Joshua, the high priest. They lead the first wave back. The next, next wave or latter wave that comes is led by a man by the name of Ezra. Now, in your Bible, you have the book of Ezra. Ezra was a scribe. He was a teacher of the word of God. Well, he leads a wave back to the homeland, and he begins to teach them the word of God. So that's the book of Ezra. Then there's a contemporary of Ezra by the name of Nehemiah. You have the book of Nehemiah in your Bible. Nehemiah, as he heard about what had happened to Jerusalem, how it had been destroyed, he wept. And then he resolved to lead a group back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, rebuild the unity of the people. So again, you have, now you have the book of Nehemiah in your Bible. Now, there's, let me give you three other prophets during this time period. What you're finding out is why I'm camping out a little bit in this time period is so much of your Bible is about this time period. And you need to understand the big picture of it if you're going to understand the small, the small parts of it. Three other prophets. One of them is by the name of Haggai. Actually, God forgot his name, so he said, hey, guy, come here. <laughs> not really, not really. Okay, Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. Those three prophets also prophesied 
during the time of the restoration, when they return to the land, they are rebuilding. There's a restoration of the people as a distinct people of God in the land. They prophesy. And they, so you have those three books in your Bible that prophesy, and they encourage diligence and rebuilding and diligence, keep the law. They also spoke words really distinctive to not only to their people and their history, but they began to prophesy down through the centuries to the last days. Let me give you another book, one more book that happened during this time period in your Old Testament, in your Bible, and that's the book of Esther. Now, again, after the Persian Empire overtakes the Babylonian Empire, you have a scattering of the Jewish people all throughout the Persian Empire. Well, one of those people is a young, beautiful woman by the name of Esther. Esther becomes Persia's queen. By the sovereignty of God, by divine providence, she's in a place of great influence in order to thwart a genocide that is planned against the Jewish people. And you have the book of Esther that tells that story in your Bible. So no matter how distant geographically or culturally or spiritually God's people are, what Scripture portrays is how God is carefully watching over his people, no matter where they are, strengthening them and preserving them alive as a people. Now, with that big picture, let me back up now, talk a little bit about the Jewish people returning to their homeland after being in Babylon under the discipline of the Lord. Now, when they return, many of them return seemingly realizing that they deserved the harsh discipline that they received. And they came back ready for a change. They came back to do things God's way. They came back with, with hopes about a future prosperity and how they're going to reflect the glory of God. So they came back with a great attitude and perspective. So the people returned home. They committed to worship God, God's way. They committed to live according to his word. They committed to restore a community as a people distinct. They committed to be, once again, glorify God around the world. Now, they would spend the next several, you know, centuries, actually a few centuries, kind of learning how to do that, and they wouldn't get it right all the time, but their heart's in the right place. Now, what I want you to notice here is that God not only restores his people after the exile, after the captivity, he actually is putting them in a better position to accomplish his purposes. Now, in the days of the United Kingdom, people from around the world could come to Israel and to Jerusalem to see the glory of God. But now, the people of God have been scattered, and now they are in a better position to bring the glory of God to other parts of the earth. So again, I want you to see that God is actually putting them in a better position to accomplish his purposes. Let me give you an example. Daniel. Daniel's taken cap captive into Babylon. He becomes the leader of the Magi. The Magi, they were the counselors to the king. They were the educated ones. They were the scholars. They were the teachers. They were astronomers and astrologers. They were magistrates. That's where we get the word magistrate from. They were attorneys. They were doctors. They were brilliant. And Daniel was elevated as the head of the Magi because of his great gift from God of wisdom and interpretation of dreams and visions. 
had there not been a Babylonian captivity and Daniel dragged to Babylon, then it's very unlikely there would have ever been magi coming to worship Jesus after he's born. Centuries later. See, when God leads his people through trials, he's actually putting them in a better position to accomplish his purposes. His redemption is always more than a consolation prize. It's a setup for an even greater opportunity for us to glorify him. Now, some of you, let's bring this now down to our own lives for a moment. Some of you feel like you've been kind of in a bit of a Babylon yourself. You've been under the discipline of the Lord for something maybe you did and or pattern that you were in and you've repented from it and you're coming out of it. Or you've been through a trial and you're finally getting through it. But you feel like you've been in a bit of a Babylon. And you know God has forgiven the things you've done. But I want you to know he's done a lot more than that. He's actually setting you up for an even greater opportunity to glorify him. But you've got to trust him. You've got to trust him that he's actually doing that and believe it. I'll give you another illustration in the Old Testament. You have in the Old Testament, God chooses a man, Abraham. He has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob's name is changed by God to Israel. He has 12 sons. One of the 12 sons, the the youngest son, Joseph, he is hated by his brothers. And his story is very interesting. He goes through terrible suffering. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's falsely accused. He's falsely imprisoned. And finally, after 17 years, this is how long this trial goes. After 17 years, because he is given a gift by God to interpret a dream, to know the dream and interpret it, after 17 years, he's placed second in command in Egypt. And he's put in a position where not only can he, you know, make sure that there's food for Egypt, but food for his family as they come to Egypt looking for food during a famine. So he's put in this tremendous position through his trial. He's now positioned to do a great thing. Now his brothers who thought he was dead came to Egypt to get food because of the famine And they finally recognize him as he reveals himself. And here's what he says to his brothers. Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So God used his trials to do what? To save many lives, to better position himself to save these lives. So God is using the trials in your life to do what? To put you in a better position to accomplish his purposes. Trials are part of life. Of course, they're a hard part of life. I recently bought my granddaughter this book entitled, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. And in this book, they're going on a great adventure. By the way, I mean, life is a great adventure full of scary things. And they talk about the scary things on this adventure. But every time they come to a trial, whether it's high grass or 
a river or mud or a cave, every time they come to a trial, they say the same thing. They say, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no, we must go through it. And I thought that's exactly what is true about trials. We don't choose them. But the truth is we can't, we can't go over them, we can't go under them, we can't go around them. We have to go through them. The only question is how. How will we go through them? Now, according to the book of James, those trials are a part of God's curriculum for our lives, a curriculum in which he's going to do something uh, in us. He's going to do something in it and position us so he can better do something through us. But also, he's going to do even something, stuff around us. Let's read this passage. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All right, so, by the way, if you, if you haven't memorized this passage, you should memorize this passage. Every Christian should memorize this passage. I mean, after John 3.16, learn this one. Because notice it says when you encounter various trials, not if you encounter them. You will encounter them. Everyone in this room is either in the middle of one right now, you just got out of one, or you're about to go into one, maybe before the day's over. That's the reality. So it says when you encounter various trials. Now, trials are a test. They test our faith. Now, think back to school. Some of you are still in school, but those of you that you know, it's been a while, think back about what were the worst kind of tests. The worst kind of tests are the, are the ones you weren't ready for, right? So you're in Spanish class, and there's a pop quiz on vocab, and you say, no, gracias, because <laughs> that's the only word you can think of. But if I'm ready for a test... If I know it's coming, it's different. It's still tough, but it's, it help, it's help, helpful to be prepared for it. So that's what God, I think, is trying to do a bit in this message for all of us today, is we need to live ready for tests that are coming our way. Now, notice it's also trials is plural here. It's not just one trial and you're done. There's various trials. And each time you come across a trial, you can say it as a book says, oh no, I can't go over it, I can't go under it, I must go through it. But the question is how? How do I go through it? Well, James says this, he says, count it, consider it or count it pure joy. And you're not going to feel joy in the midst of the trial. You're not gonna, it's not going to just be like, oh, this is really fun. I mean, you're not going to feel it, but you consider it joy. Why? Because you believe that God is working something better in you so he can better, also better position to work through you. And he's doing all kinds of amazing things that you don't even know about through the trial around you. But you got to believe it. If I believe that's true, then I can count it joy. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the loss, in the midst of the humiliation, whatever is involved in your trial, I can count it joy because I know that God is at work. And when God, and God is actually going to do something to bring me to more maturity, he's going to do something to position me for, to be used more for his glory, and he's doing stuff around me I don't even know about. That's good. So he says, 
that this trial is going to bring about endurance. All right, literally the word means staying under and not cracking, not running away. The trial is producing a spiritual strength, a tenacious faith. You know, those of you that were athletes, those of you that work out, you understand that there must be resistance for muscles to grow. Muscles grow under weight. That's why astronauts, when they come back from space and weightlessness, their muscles have gone through atrophy. There's been no resistance. There's been no weight on them. And so what does God do? God wants to strengthen our spiritual muscle. So he's going to bring some weight, some resistance. Think back to your life. Think of all the times in your life where you really grew spiritually. What was going on during that time? I guarantee you, if you go back to a time where you grew a lot, you're going back to a time, you're going to remember that trial that God put you through. What? To do, work, to do some strengthening, working, maturing in you. Also to prepare you to be used more by him. We need, you know, in the midst of that trial to have a certain perspective. That's why the next verse says for us to ask for wisdom. We need to have the wisdom of God to see things rightly. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So in the midst of the trial, when you're ready to be angry and frustrated and embittered, or in the midst of the trial when you're scared about the future, or in the midst of the trial when you are stuck in your shame or you know, guilt, whatever, in the midst of that, you what you need to do is trust God, ask him, ask him for wisdom. God, give me wisdom to see this thing right, to realize that you're doing a work in me right now that, that is going to cause me to be more mature. You're doing a work right now to be able to use me, position me for more of your glory. Lord, give me that perspective right now that you're doing stuff around me. I don't even know about that's amazing through my trial. Let me give you an example of this. Okay, my name is Gary Hutchison. The name Hutchison comes from the McDonald clan of Scotland, from the Isle of Skye, a place that I've been to twice. I've taken two of my sons there with me. The history very much interests me about this part of the world and about this people. Well, one of the things you learn if you study the history of that part of the world is not far from the island of Skye in 1558, there was a Scottish fisherman who was raging against God for a storm that destroyed his little fishing boat. What he didn't know was that that same storm was destroying 24 ships of what is called the Invincible Spanish Armada, saving the island from an invasion. An invasion that could have stopped there forever being any Hutchison's. See, I can't think that I know, you know, everything that's happening and begin to blame God what's going on. I need to ask him for wisdom because God is not only doing something in me to grow me up and doing something to position me in the future to be better used by him for glory. He's doing stuff around me that I don't even realize that's also good. So we need wisdom to see things rightly. We need to trust God in the midst of our trial. If we don't, we're going to get stuck. 
we'll get stuck in our trial, we'll start to identify, even our identity will begin to see in the, in, in the context of our trial. So don't trip over what is behind you. God is working things in your life to prepare you for what is to come. But you got to believe it. You got to believe this to be true. And you'll need God's wisdom to do that. As we respond rightly to the trial, not only are we going to come through it moving forward, not stuck in it, not tripping over what's behind me, but moving forward, more mature, better positioned. But also, if we respond rightly to our trial, God's going to bless us in the kingdom to come. Let's continue in James chapter 1. Let's jump to verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God's goal is not to crush you. God's goal is to crown you. Some of you have played chess. Most of us are probably familiar with the game, the different pieces. There's the pawn. The pawn is not a very important piece on the board. It could be taken out pretty easily almost any time. The pawn can't do any fancy sideways moves. It's not very powerful, sacrificed if necessary. The pawn, the pawn it can't, it can't you know, prance around like a knight. It just moves forward in service to the king. It can't move backward. It just moves forward, forward, forward. But what happens when the pawn gets all the way to the other side of the board? What do you say? Crown me. Crown me. It's been through the battles, but it kept moving forward. And now... It doesn't remain a pawn anymore. Now, it can't be king, but it could become a knight or a rook or a bishop or most likely a queen, the bride of the king. You know, when I go through the things I go through, I, got, I, can, I can consider it joy in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the loss. I can consider it joy if I believe the word of God, the truth, that God is doing something in me. He's growing me up. God is positioning me so I can be used for his greater glory. And God is doing stuff around me that I don't even know about. They're accomplishing his purposes on the earth. But if you don't believe that, then you can get stuck in your trial. You can get stuck in Babylon. You can start identifying yourself differently according to your trial and not move forward and not accomplish God's purposes. So as we close with ministry time, I want to ask some of the worship team to come back up for the closing ministry time. Some of you, in all honesty, would confess you feel stuck in your trial. You feel stuck. You haven't been able to move forward you just stuck. And some of you would even confess you, you're stuck and there's some bitterness and, you're, and you're, as you're stuck, there's some frustration, resentment. 
and you are now moving forward. Some of you are just, you're stuck in fear. Some of you are stuck in guilt and shame, but there's, there's, you're stuck in your trial, and today is a day to get unstuck. And during this ministry time, the Spirit of God is going to get all of those of you who want to get unstuck, unstuck today. So let's stand. I'm going to say a prayer in a moment, and then we're going to have this song. And let me tell you how the ministry time will work. Let me encourage you guys to, first of all, this is a safe place. This is family. You don't have to let pride keep you from receiving ministry today. This is all family. We're all in this together. But some of you are stuck, and today what you can do, you come forward for prayer. We're going to pray for you. You're going to get unstuck as you also embrace faith as we pray for you and believe the word of God that you heard today. And you will leave here moving forward, unstuck. Father, you know exactly where everyone in this room is. You know those, Lord, who have been unable to move forward and trust you and believe you for the greater good that you're doing. So, Lord, we're praying today that you now just cause this to be a safe place, everybody be at ease, and that you would accomplish your purpose by your spirit of getting people unstuck to move forward and to grow and to be better positioned to honor your name, in the name of Jesus. So if that's you today, just during the song, come on up here and get unstuck in Jesus' name. Come on up and let us pray for you. We're going to continue to sing this song, but I want to encourage you. We need a lot of people down here praying for those who are here. So feel free to slip out. If you know Christ as your Savior, Lord, you're part of the body of Christ. Come on down, lay a hand on the shoulder, and begin to pray for them. Just begin to pray. The Holy Spirit's going to work through you. Just come and begin to pray.
Father, we ask for you to pour out your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit, rest upon all those who are looking to you, Lord, for this release to be unstuck, unburdened. Lord, you know some of the pain represented down here right now is excruciating, excruciating pain. But Lord, it's not bigger than what you can do with a touch. So we're asking you to pour out your spirit. Lord, I pray for faith to rise up now. Faith to rise up to believe you, that you are at work. To believe, Lord, you are working in us a material we're going to need. That you are positioning us for a ministry that we couldn't do without that trial. And Lord, you're doing so many other things in the midst of it all that we don't even know about that are good and bring you glory. So Lord, right now we ask you to come and strengthen the faith of all those who have come, Lord. Don't let anybody leave here stuck, Lord, today. In Jesus' name. So all of you who came for prayer, just now believe them. Just believe. So I'm going to believe you, Lord. I'm going to count it joy. It doesn't feel like joy. I'm counting it joy because I believe you. I believe you're doing this work in me and you're going to do this work through me. I believe it and I receive it and I embrace it today in the name of of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for all you're going to do in us in the days to come, all you're going to do through us. We thank you. We thank you that you, Lord, have positioned us in these coming days for important ministry. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. Make sure you give them a hug down here if you prayed for them.